Hello there. Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sarah, your podcast editor. And can I just say, wow, it's the final episode of season one, and we're nearing the end of 2021. Woo, we did it. We're almost there. Thank you for being part of this Greenfluence journey with us so far. It's been a privilege, and I'm so excited to bring you our final episode. As we wrap up for season one, your hosts, Maya and Biss, sit down with Professor Tom Smith, a leading finance academic in Australia with a keen interest in environmental finance. Buckle in for episode six. In this week's episode, we will be talking with Professor Tom Smith, the head of the Department of Applied Finance at Macquarie University and member of the Centre for Corporate Sustainability and Environmental Finance. Tom has completed a PhD at Stanford University and has been a Professor of Finance for over 30 years. Professor Tom Smith is one of the leading finance academics in Australia and has been ranked as the number one finance academic in Australia and New Zealand by both the Journal of Financial Literature and the Pacific Basin Finance Journal. Tom is the leading researcher in environmental finance asset pricing theory and tests, design of markets, market microstructure and derivatives. We are excited to have Tom on the podcast as both Chris and I have completed applied finance degrees and our discussion will revolve around understanding the economics of climate change. So welcome, Professor Tom Smith. Great. Thank, thanks for inviting me along. Maya and this. Pleasure to be here. So, Tom, you've got extensive experience um, as an academic and your background in finance as well as researching, um, as well as researching um, more recently trends in ESG and sustainability. So your current area of research is in relation with your work in the Center of Corporate, in the Center of Corporate Sustainability and Environmental Finance. Can you tell our listeners a bit, a bit more about that, please? Yeah, so essentially uh, the work is around putting dollars and cents on the threats and opportunities from global environmental change. So you know, part of what we do is look at wealth effects. So we looked at wealth effects for you know, the, the country and firms around the introduction of a carbon tax. We've looked at uh, the existence or not of a carbon bubble, bubble and you know, just how big the carbon bubble is. Uh, we looked at different industries, uh, transport, uh, health, agriculture, we have looked at the, the, you know, the intersection of fintech and sustainability, especially around lending uh, platforms. Uh, we looked at uh, political connections and how that you know, affects uh, firms in the fossil fuel industry versus the clean tech industry and how that, you know, how that plays out across different countries. We've looked at the ESG performance uh, relation, you know, what's driving which. Um, and, and for fund managers, not only the ESG performance, but the ESG um, fund flow, which is, of course, very important for a fund manager. Um, we've looked at, uh, we, we look at reporting, what are the effects of mandatory reporting disclosures in different environments, and what's the optimal climate risk uh, disclosure. In fact, we've got some work we're working on with the Australian um, Accounting Standard Boards and the Australian Audit uh, standard board um, 
So we've also looked at the, the, the best for engage question, uh, which I think is very important for grassroots uh, support. Yeah, amazing. And you touched on a lot of very interesting points about the mandatory reporting and the climate risk. And I'm very curious to know about like the evolution of finance um, into this more sustainable and into this more green, into this green, into this more green focused environment. I'm I'm sure you've seen changes over time. So how did that integration to ESG come about? Yeah, so um, I think it all gets down to the business case, right? Uh, I think traditionally finance is focused on, you know, um, you know, more traditional industries. But, you know, when, you know, there's been a confluence of factors, right? Um, there's been the scientists telling us about the effects of global environmental change. There's been the grassroots uh, movement by uh, young people in particular. Uh, then we've had the extraordinary uh, scenes of every country in the world, all 195 of them, getting together every year to discuss this problem, right, for what, you know, well over 20 years. And, you know, uh, unbelievably coming to a consensus in the 2015 in the Paris Accord, right? So we're seeing central banks, um, you know, uh, saying we have to do something about it. We're seeing actuaries saying you have to account or you know the the devastating effects that climate can have on your balance sheets, you know, not just your profits, your assets, but also your human capital. And you know the finance comes into it because the businesses want to do something as well because you know they're worried about the threats. But they also see the opportunities, but they want to know a business case, right? So the dollars and cents really come into it and. You know, it's gone to the point where, um, you know, there's, there is going to be a, a transition to clean technology and accounting people and the finance people will be, you know, very important, right, to map out the dollars and cents and what's worth it and what's not worth it you know, in, in doing this. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a very key point just then, Tom, about the transition to clean energy. And I see, I've heard about a lot of investment flowing into that and things like that. And obviously, that's going to be a huge consideration in a lot of companies, ESG thematics and in the ESG portfolios. So um, I guess you've touched on it before, but like, what's in store in terms of integrating ESG with finance theory? And how can we get some sort of standardization in the industry from your perspective? When they compare the ESG ratings, right, that are given by the various rating forms, there is uh, a quite a disparity, right? They they talk about something called inter-rater reliability. Um, so there is quite a bit of um, this discrepancy. So really, I think the research we're doing about um, the optimal climate reporting is going to help with that, right? So the ESG rating organizations you see now mightn't be the predominant ones that, you know, that, that, that continue into the future. And so we might get a lot more standardized uh, because you know, inter-rater reliability is very important, right? So you should be able to get different ratings and they compare reasonably well. And, and we've done research that shows that actually they don't. So what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen in terms of the transition to clean technology? Uh, well, it's, it's going to be a huge technological breakthrough, right? So in history, um, you, know, in, you know, our finance theory thinks that um, that the technological breakthroughs over time have really driven wealth and and returns, right? Market returns. 
So going back to you know the invention of the steam engine and railways, all the way through to the internet, right? There's been eight technological revolutions that have driven wealth and driven markets. Well, this is going to be the biggest one of all, right? And that's the clean tech uh, revolution, right? The transition to clean tech. And you know we've estimated, and our estimates uh, conform to others, right? Um, um, you know, the Energy Commission, Bloomberg, that around $20 trillion of wealth will be created. So that's another reason why you know, finance is very important to companies, right? Because they see this great opportunity to transition to clean technology. And in fact, the, the transition will be so pervasive, right, that all of finance will be uh, sustainable finance, right? All of finance will be sustainable finance. And you're seeing, you know, the rise of green bonds over, over the last decade or so, but all bonds are going to be sustainable, right? So in terms of someone finishing their Bachelor of Life Finance, this is a great field to go into because the whole of the world will be uh, you know, moving to a sustainable future. Yeah, I definitely agree, Tom. Like as a recent applied finance graduate, I definitely think that it's so exciting to see the business case behind sustainability. And it's almost as though, if businesses aren't adapting, they're going to be left behind. They're going to be left. Um, they're going to be left sure, with stranded yeah. assets like coal and oil, which is not sustainable, right? Um, sure. And sure. and that. Well, and there's all the mentioned- money on the table, right? There's all, all this money on the table, and you want to be part yeah. of it. If you're a business. You want to be part of it. Yeah, for sure. It's a good time for businesses to cash in as well. And I think on that note, can you please give our community a background to the global environmental crisis, and in particular, how could we apply the Rockstorm planetary boundary to preserve the planet? Yeah, so this is the Stockholm Institute and you know, famous papers by guys, a guy called Rockstrom and another guy called Stefan. And of course, they have you know, 50 odd co-authors, right? It's big scientific. But there's uh, a planetary boundaries framework. And essentially, uh, and this is you know, uh, you know, scary stuff, there are nine planetary uh, conditions, right? Uh, that need to be uh, satisfied in order to sustain human life. Right? So human life hasn't been around uh, on the earth for very long, right? In fact, the, the longest um, sustained, you know, the longest continuous uh, civilization is the Australian indigenous population. And that traces back 60,000 years, right? So we've only had this very short, you know, if you look at the you know, 4 billion uh, years of Earth's existence. We've only had just this tiny little micron is where the conditions were favorable for human life, right? And now we've got to a point where, you know, looking at these nine planetary boundaries, we have breached uh, four out of the nine. So that's 44.44%, right? And the ones we've breached are biodiversity, right? Uh, we've breached that horribly, right? So much so that no one even talks about it anymore. But you notice that the United Nations is meeting now separately, trying to do something about biodiversity. Uh, the fertilizer use, uh, phosphorus and nitrogen, uh, land use. Yeah? And the fourth one we breached is climate change, but, but not by so much, right? Not by so much. And the reason the world is focused on that is they actually think they can do something about it, right? So there, the conditions uh, you know, and there's boundaries around each of them that is necessary you know, that necessary to support your mind. It's a very serious thing. People talk yeah. about saving the planet, and I, I laugh, right? Because 
the planet was just fine up until 60,000 years ago when uh, humans uh, appeared, right? And it, it'd be fine for four and a half billion years and it'll be fine for another four, four odd billion years, right? Just as long, whether humans are here or not, right? So it's not about saving the planet. The planet will be just fine. We're, you know, we're just, the effects of whatever we've done will be gone after a million years, right? And that's nothing to the planet. Right. So it really is about sustaining uh, human life. And you see that there's not just climate change, although some of these things are very uh, interrelated. Right? Uh, other ones are freshwater use, uh, novel entities like plastics and, and so on. Yeah, you made a great point, Tom. I think it's as though humans are our own worst enemy. And now it's more important than ever to live within these boundaries if we are to preserve our natural landscape, things like that. And I think you've touched a lot on the environmental side of things, but I'm really curious to know as well, what are some findings or frameworks that relate to the social and governance aspect of things um, that you've encountered in your research? With the, with the ESG, I think we started off with, uh, with the, the focus was on you know, minimizing the, the firm's effect on the environment, right? And there were people, you know, they were called do-gooders, right, trying to, you know, as I said before, trying to save the planet, right? Um, and we should minimize our, you know, minimize our impact on the planet. And that was sort of the, the, the frame of reference. However, um, we've now become aware that um, it's, not, it's not what we've done to the planet. It's what the planet could do to us, right? And, and uh, we've upset the balance so much that the planet, you know, the, the change in uh, global environmental um, the change in the global environment are going to come and kick uh, businesses up the arse, right? Uh, so it's, it's you know, and really threaten their profits, their assets, and their human capital, right? And we're seeing a lot of relocation of, uh, of businesses, right? Fishing grounds have, you know, dried up and you have to move the processing plants, um, you know, the, the supercell storms and tornadoes that we had. In uh, you know the East Coast just yesterday, uh, they used to be one in a you know a hundred years, two hundred year event, but they're becoming far more recent. And if they become they become um, more frequent, right? If they become more frequent, then we won't be able to live in houses with big windows, right? Uh, because they'll just be you know ruined, you know, by uh, hail. We will have to have our cars always undercover. We won't be able to walk. Uh, down the street, we'll have to walk undercover. The whole way we live, right, will change, right? Uh, there'll have to be tunnels connecting every everything or, or you know, covered walkways, you know, covering, <laughs> covering everywhere we're going to transverse in a city on Earth, right? It's, these supercell storms are incredibly disruptive. And you know, on my farm, uh, I was hit by three times by the devastating good forest. At the end of 2019, 2020, and the whole hundred acres was burnt. Right, wow. I had a huge shed of two and a half uh, thousand square foot, and that was completely burnt to the ground, along with all my farm equipment, all my fences, all my retaining walls gone. Right? Uh, so, you know, and during the you know, during the, the the third incident, incident there was nothing left to burn. You wouldn't have thought, but it was if the whole the air itself. Was on fire, right? It was completely unprecedented, right? It was just burnt fields, but still there were embers and the air itself seemed to be on fire. You couldn't see in front of you, you couldn't see the drive. So this didn't used to occur before, 
right? The advice yeah. always used to be stay in your house, wait for the fire to go under, go over, then go out and you know, check that it didn't get under the roof and put it out. But now you've got to go, right, because the fire is so big, it has sucked out the air uh, 600 metres before, you know, there's no oxygen left. 600 metres before the fire actually hit you, there is no oxygen left. So this sort of you know, devastating extremes uh, is becoming a lot more frequent and it really you know, you know, possibly changes the way we, you know, we, we, we live. So ESG is not just about what we're doing um, ourselves, what our footprint is, it's really about sustainability. It's got more, well, are we sustainable as people, as humans? Is your business sustainable? Are your profits sustainable? Are your assets sustainable? Is your human capital sustainable? Yeah, and on the point of, you know, extreme weather events, we've seen the California fires raging as well. Um, and there's not much that we are prepared for in terms of, you know, everyday life. We aren't at that mentally like taking this in and that things are changing so quickly and it's led to a lot of um, businesses kind of going out you see them down in south uh, new south wales is still recovering i'm just moving our focus a little bit as well towards this area of climate and we know that in in order for australia to reach any net zero targets we need to collectively invest in clean technology um, particularly in the area of generating clean energy. So from your opinion, what frameworks do you think we need to adopt, either governments or companies, um, to make the transition so that the economy can encourage and promote uh, the production of clean energy, um, particularly as our economy already a lot relies upon uh, fossil fuels? Yeah, for sure, the market is going to take us, is going to transition us to um, a clean energy future, right? But the market will do that because there's so much money to be made, right? And businesses will invest the money they need to get us to, uh, um, to, get us to um, you know, a, a sustainable future. However, they're going to do it when the business case dictates, right? So at the moment, the business case says, you, you know, based on the business case, you wouldn't build a new coal-fired power station. Right? You wouldn't because the costs of that are too well, higher than a renewable power station. However, you wouldn't decommission the existing coal-fired power station and build and immediately build a, um, a, a clean technology one because the business case doesn't exist for that, right? So, you know, it's, it can't just be business doing it, right? Because if business, if the market uh, is put in charge of doing the transition clean technology, it will do it. It will certainly do it. But we might end up with three or four degrees, right, or more above, you know, uh, you know, past, you know past the two-degree two cutoff, right? So we may, might end up at three and a half to four. So we want to keep the climate change within two degrees. Now, that's not because we, you know, an average temperature of two degrees is going to hurt, right? We know that in London at 30 degrees, it's a heat wave, right? So we are happy to be here in 40 degrees, right? What, what it's really about, Mayor, is what you were talking about. It, it's at the, the tail, at the extreme, right? 
So, you know, the, the occurrence of these super cell storms, the occurrence of large winds, the occurrence of the bushfires, you know, tornadoes in, in you know, um, New South Wales, for heaven's sake, right? That doesn't happen, but that happened yesterday, right, in Armidale. So it's those things, right? And we really don't know, right, you know, how bad it will be if the global temperature goes up by more than one and a half degrees, right? Uh, you know, this two degree is not a safe point by, given by science. It was just a random cutoff. So it could be a two degrees. We get all of these, all of these, um, you know, all of these extremes in the tail, right, that we just can't handle, right, and we can't live as, as, as we have been. So that's really important, right? It's not just the, 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 the fact that it's going up. So the market is not going to get us there within you know, the, it, within the, the temperature increase that we want, right? It's not going to limit it to it. So what we need is clear government policy, right? And this net, that's the importance of the net zero, right? Um, so what the government needs to do is to say to the fossil fuel um, you know, region, right, that we are not going to close down tomorrow. We're not going to take away the livelihood. We are going to transition by 2050. And each year in your community, we're going to invest a billion dollars. Yeah? We're going to give you a billion dollars. And we want you to start thinking about how you're going to transition to uh, this renewable future. Right? But you've got 30 years to do it. And every year, we're going to give you a billion dollars. Right? And you know, you think about the people, you know, the mayor in those regions and the workers in the region, they're looking ahead and go, geez, I've got a job for 30 years, right? And I've got this upside of this, you know, my children and their children, you know, uh, all these you know, all these potential careers in this emerging technology that's going to make the country a lot of money. So that clear sort of policy uh, guideline, right, is exactly what Germany has done, right? And all the people in the regions, and it's, it's a lot more than a billion dollars a year because it's a lot bigger country. So it's like 20 billion, right? And saying, well, you know, you do it, you, you figure it out, but here's the money, right? And we want you to transition. It's a matter of policy. We want you to clean, you know, transition to clean technology. It's got to be good for you. It's got to be good for the country. It's got to be good for the world. Right? And so that's what we need. Other governments are doing it, and we need our government to do that as well. And, in which case, you know, everyone feels a lot better, right? Because obviously you just can't turn the, the tap off of all these jobs and this industry, right? Um, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's not going to work. But if people feel secure, then they're going to, you know, they're going to transition and uh, it's going to be, everyone's going to feel good about it. Mm. And we've got a good roadmap to follow. And, you know, is that expensive? No, not compared with the, what we stand to lose uh, from the threats of climate change. And if we're not transitioning, we're missing out on the upside that these incredible wealth gains from a transition to clean technology. And look, in, in the whole world, Australia is best set up to you know, create um, you know, uh, solar and wind. Right? We have this incredible continent, which uh, is you know, it's a you know, sunburned country, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, drought and driving rain, it's got a lot of, lot of uh, potential. Also, the oldest continent on the Earth, and you know, able to get the the you know the, the geothermal power as well, a lot a lot easier to, to drill and get geothermal. Uh, and it's an island surrounded by waves, right? So, what, you know, um, and big seas where you can create, you know, you can turn 
and companies are doing this. You can turn oil rigs into um, wind and clean and, and solar uh, generating facilities. You know, what have we got to do to get, um, you know, we've got to have that clear policy. The markets will transition. The, all of the all of the, the power stations will be um, will be solar or will be wind. Uh, in fact, the, the costs of solar and wind are coming down so much that there's actually not going to be a lot of money to be made from generating power anymore. The bills are all going to go down. But the money is going to be made in storage. Right? And at the moment, the storage uh, backup for solar and wind is hydro, principally um, battery uh, appearing more and more. But people think, and they're making huge bets on the fact that it might be hydrogen. Right? And this is a huge bet because we're not there yet. The, the, the efficiencies around hydrogen aren't there yet, right? So people are taking huge bets that the hydrogen, we will do the R&D, we will get the breakthroughs, technological breakthroughs in hydrogen capture. Um, essentially, we've got to get it down to about a dollar eighty a kilogram, right? But we're a long way from that. But people are investing uh, with, you know, taking a gamble that we will do that by you know, 2025, 2030. So, People are making huge wages on you know, what's the future of particularly storage, right? Because there's not going to be a lot of money actually in energy generation, right? Because the cost of solar panels are decreasing at such a point, it'll just it'll converge to the price of the glass itself. Yeah, that's right. And you know, we've seen an example of that recently with the government announcing a three billion dollar incentive to boost hydrogen. Um, so that would be yes, and you can see why the they're doing that, right? For the fossil fuel companies, that's the technology that both best fits their um, their business, you know, their business case, right? Their, their business capability. Now, you know, I, I think there's some reason to be optimistic, but uh, we're not there yet. Right? You know, what gives me some um, comfort is the fact that Toyota, which is a hundred year old country has better future on hydrogen, you know, hydrogen-powered electric cars, right? So is Hyundai, and BMW is having, you know, two bob each way. Uh, and, you know, te Tesla, we know, uh, is you know, going for battery-powered electric cars, but Tesla's only been around 10 minutes in comparison to Toyota, right? So, you know, this is interesting, you know, but, you know not just governments are making a bet on hydrogen. Um, and look, it'd be lovely if hydrogen worked out, right? So the whole universe is 90% hydrogen, right? And the other 10% is a hydrogen that's been turned into helium by the, the star. So it'd be fantastic if we could actually use the stuff of life to you know, create, create power. And of course, we went, to, uh, we went to another planet, right? And you know, we're always saying it has to be water, it has to be water or not water. You know, not only do you need to drink water, but if you've got water, you can convert it into hydrogen, right? Just remove the oxygen, which is handy to, to, to breathe, and hydrogen's a fuel, right? So when you go to another planet, you won't be digging for oil or gas. You'll be you know, digging up the water, putting electric cars to it from a solar source, and that's how you'll get your oxygen and how you get your fuel, right? So it's it's sort of makes sense that it's the future and it is an R&D bet that it will get down to the price we want, right? But, uh, and so, you know, that's, that's interesting to watch that space.
I just wanted to go back to your theory on the $1 billion grant towards assisting the clean energy transition. If we yep. compare this to existing solutions, um, how effective is this? Or do you think, you know, if we look at carbon taxes or uh, incentives in other ways, um, how is that being enforced in other countries? And, you know, should Australia be copying some of these systems too? What I mentioned works fantastically in Germany, right? Uh, so the regions are incredibly happy with this, right? People have job security. The regions know they'll have prosperity for, and look, 30 years from now, it seems like a long while, but the transition is gradual. Uh, you know, People are relaxed about it. They know we have to transition and they see a way to do it. One of the, you know, one of the problems with subsidies is, you know, in politics, uh, there's a whole lot of political connection and you can, you know, get the subsidies for you, for your own advantage. You see that happening all along. Um, so, and the government itself can allocate them to, you know, marginal electorates who, you know, principally they want to get re-elected. You know, they, they think they want to get re-elected for the greater good because they're the best party. They'll do the most for the economy. And this is just a means to an end. But this is just politics. It's the system. Yeah, it's a terrible system, but it's the best system there is sort of thing, right? So we, 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 we vote and, um, you know, we're more likely to vote if there's you know, uh, something for us in our region, right? If we vote for this party, they're going to they're gonna do something for our region. Uh, but politics aside, if this was across the board, if you happen to be, you know, coal or you know, oil, oil, gas or coal region, you're going to get this money from position. And look, it doesn't have to be a billion dollars. It's just some amount of money every year, right, uh, to, so that you know that, yes, the policy is we will be net zero and we will phase into uh, uh, clean technology and we've got the time and we can do it at our own pace and we can decide. Yeah, that touches on a lot of points of you know employment, research, incentivizing growth of yeah. technology. One of the troubles with you know with politics is the government maybe can't do that because within its own ranks, right, there's going to be people that are scared by this or, you know, worried. But, you know, it, if you sold the whole package, right, um, that, yes, it is scary to have to transition. You know, we all we all love progress, right, but we hate change, right? That's it's the human condition. So, uh, but if you say, well, this is the policy, but there's all this time, right, and there's lots and lots of time. Look, it might even appeal uh, to um the, you know the, the party politics, right? Because they might see this, you know, this money as being able to be, you know, used for political purposes too to get reelected. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out in Australian political landscape. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see. So essentially, at the moment, everything goes for Australia to commit to a net zero, and it's really just the national party, right? But uh, but they might see that okay, if there's going to be money, yeah, uh, for transition. And you know it's going to be for many years, and they haven't announced that it's policy yet, right? Hopefully they will. Well, there's great opportunities for country region. On that point, we have so much potential for clean energy. Why do you think we're falling behind the rest of the world in that regard? So number one, you know, there wasn't a business case, right? So number you know, the number one, it wasn't a business case, and so while Europe had a carbon tax, right, um, it really you know did affect their profits and their assets. 
you know, it wasn't a business case for us to do it. So we, you know, we we were a little naughty, right? We pulled that stuff out of the ground as quick as we could and we used it for cheap energy and we sold it to anyone who would buy it, right? So we sort of took advantage of the others doing something that wasn't a business case for and we, you know, doubling up on something that was a business case for. But that has changed now, right? Yep. That has changed now because the business case is for clean technology, right? And that's why you see even the Murdoch press, right? Um, they, their constituents, right, which are the big businesses, are seeing, well, actually, the business case is there. We want to be part of this $20, $20 trillion, right? We're not going to turn our back on $20 trillion, right? Yeah. Uh, we want to have part of that. So that's what's happened. And, uh, you know, in some sense, you know, you learn about real options, right? And this is what you, you know, not 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 financial options you buy in the market, but real options, what you actually do with your plant and equipment. So one of the most valuable things you can do with you know, strategy is to delay, right? And Australia, you know, the Australian governments might seem like geniuses in the future, right? Because they delayed, 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 and exploited you know, the system, exploited. Um, yeah. The, the cheap energy and made uh, you know, provided clean energy made incredible profits for companies and taxes, but then acted when the business case was there. Right, so so it really looks like we do have a confluence of all everything happening. Right, not only the science, the grassroots, the central banks, the businesses now want to move, and now the government, mm-hmm. even you know, even the uh, government, want to move because their constituents want them to move. So, so we are at a very, very exciting time, right? But they can't, yeah. you know, we can't just yeah. leave it to the market because they won't get there quickly enough, right? There has to be government policy and, the, you know, the, 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 the industry is crying out for some policy, right? And it yeah. can be just as yeah. simple as what I said, right? We are going to transition, but we're going to do it over the next 30 years. Here's some money that we're giving you every year. You, you, you figure it out. It you know, gives you the comfort of knowing there's a long time period, the job site, the region site, and there's incredible upside for you. So you've mentioned a lot about, you know, con- countries and companies looking at it. How would you actually assess a business case? Like, let's say you're the perspective of a person in finance or law working for a company. Now, how would you go up to your CEO and say, this is what we need to do, this is the time? They should yep, invest yep. in this. So what you would have learned mainly, right, would have been doing valuation, right, uh, just kind of cash flow analysis, right? So you've got investment, you've got cash flows coming in. So essentially that you make a decision to do an investment and you see what happens, right? But what we're talking about here is strategic choices, right? And with strategic choices, you first see what happens and then you make a decision, right? So, say, take hydrogen, for example, right? Uh, we decide to invest a billion dollars in hydrogen, uh, the R&D, right? Because we want to get that price uh, down to a dollar eighty a kilogram. And then we have, you know, not the normal, you know, you make a decision and see what happens and there's good things happen and bad things happen. Uh, so, you think about strategic options, you're thinking about real options, right? So, think of a tree, you make a decision, but if it, something good happens, that is the R&D works out, that it's a technical success, then you continue up the tree. But it's only the upper branch that's continuing. Because if it doesn't work out, and the lower branch, you abandon. 
right? So you would take in a decision tree to your board, right? So you take in the decision tree and you say, well, look, it is risky for the development of hydrogen. There's only a 40% chance that the R&D, this billion-dollar investment, will be successful. But if it's not successful, we lost a billion dollars and we stop, right? But if it is successful, then we go on to an approval process. There might only be 60% chance of success. Not successful, we stop there. If it is successful, you know, we go to the commercialization, and then we've got you know, five possibilities. It's an absolute terror, a dog. Uh, it's, it's, it's very bad. It's average. It's really, really good, or it's a home run. And these are the probabilities. So even with all of these probabilities, you know, going on, this could be you know, the equivalent of so many trillion dollars for, for you, right? Or so many billion for the, for the business, or so many you know, trillion for the economy. So even with these probabilities, you, you would do it with a decision tree, where you go, we actually acknowledge that there's, it's risky, right, in terms of discovery, approval, commercialization. But even with those things, because you see what happens and then make a decision, this is where um, this is where you know, uh, this is a bonanza. So that that's the way you have to do it, right? So and they understand strategy. The board understands strategy, and they can see clearly. Um, you know, what it is you're trying to convey. That's why they need you, right? That's why they need you as uh, you know, graduates to be able to explain the dollars and cents to them, right? And it's, well, this is all about the dollars and cents. It's not about feeling good and being you know, a good citizen. That was what people were doing 20 years ago when it wasn't good stuff, right? This is about making money for the, the firm and the country. But also, you know, you, you'll feel good doing that, but you'll also be doing good. Because uh, you know you're contributing to us staying within the planetary boundaries necessary to sustain human life. And look, when I say you know, sustaining human life, we're not all going to get wiped out if it goes to three or four degrees, right? We're like, I'm sure we'll be like cockroaches. We'll survive for you know millions of years, but not not in the same way. Right? Not in the same way we're living now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and thanks for putting the applied finance kind of perspective into it as well. You know, it's 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 not about protecting the polar bears, or you know, um, you know, it should be about equi equity, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, ethics, right? It should be uh, about doing the right thing so the poorest nations don't suffer, that the Pacific Island loses. But it's actually going to be about dollars and cents. Right? That's what's going to, you know, that's what rules the day. So moving into the last question before the speed round, um, could you talk a bit more about the opportunities? in the transition to clean technology for graduates, um, particularly those ones listening? Yeah, so th this is going to be, you know, I think the ninth technological revolution, right? Uh, and it's going to be far bigger than anything we've seen before, right? Uh, I know the internet was very persuasive, um, but, you know, motor cars, no everyone got one, no everyone using the steam engine. Uh, but this is going to, everything, uh, in, in, everything is going to change. The way we power our homes, the way we you know, live, everything is going to change. So the clean technology jobs far outweigh the, the fossil fuel jobs, right? So, in fact, I did some study on um, you know, how, much, how much tax we get from uh, the fossil fuel industry. I looked up corporate tax and you know, it was you know, it was a good amount, but I thought, oh well, maybe maybe it'll be from the personal tax. And I looked at the, the, what individuals were paying, and it was hardly anything. 
And then, of course, I realized that the industry actually hardly employs anyone. We see all those people fly in, fly out workers, and we think there's a lot of them, but there is actually not, right? Because if you think about mining, you think about all the heavy equipment, you know, the trucks that are as you know, big as, you know, uh, bigger than dinosaurs, right, that are roaming, and the tractors and everything, they're, they're, some of them are remote control, right? There's hardly any human people, right? So, you know, we think we see a lot of people in their, you know, their, their FIFO uniform, but there is actually, when you count them, there's not a lot at all, so much so that the income tax from them is, is insignificant. So clean technology creates a lot of jobs, right? And from a company point of view, there's, there's so much money, $20 trillion is an unimaginable amount, amount of money, right? And you think that's a lower estimate. So there's incredible number of, you know, incredible future uh, for someone who can do the business case, right, uh, around, um, you know, the, you know, strategic options to do a clean technology. Everything is going to transition to clean technology. The whole world of finance is going to be sustainable finance, right? All, all financing is going to be sustainable financing. And why? Because that's where the money is. It's also good for you know, conditions under which you know, humans can survive on the planet. So tremendous opportunities, tremendous growth, right, um, in this market, in the workforce, right? And these will be, you know, some of these will be very high-paying jobs. It won't just be installing uh, solar panels, right? In fact, you know, the, the solar panel, the home solar panel, panel uh, thing might uh, you know, die down a little bit, right? It might be far more efficient for a whole city to have a solar plant and distributing power to the city. You know, some countries won't have power grids, right? It's just the city or a region could have their own, you know, uh, solar or wind, and not distributing to you know, right across the network. But, yeah, I think we saw in India where they didn't go really to fixed lines for telephones, right? They transitioned straight to the new technology, which was mobile. Right? Yeah. And we might see that in emerging countries in Africa, where they just go straight to the city having a, a sustainable, a clean technology power plant, right? And no distributed power, you know, backed up, of course, by storage. So you don't think that graduates need to position themselves specifically like as green finance or what advice would you tell them to look for, I don't know, roles in which they can make a change? I would as much as I could about it, right, so understanding uh, some of the arguments. So I talked about hydrogen and it sounds great and, you know, but, you know, the, the dollars and cents aren't there yet, right? So yeah. understanding, you know, why it might work, right, and why it mightn't work, but how the investment is still valuable, right, even though the probability of success mightn't be, you know, uh, you know, 100% or 90% or 80% or 70% or 60%, it might be only 40%, 30%, but because of the way, you know, the way, you know, uh, strategic options are valued, it can still be very, very valuable thing to invest in. So understanding that, right? um, being able to directly do evaluation for you know, things like a strategic option. So trying to get you know, master that. You know. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree, Tom. I think it's important for young graduates to, I guess, better understand the space that they could see themselves in. And I think we've seen a very good example in Europe in terms of Germany and the EU is doing things like the Green Deal. And I think they've set a roadmap into how to transition to renewables. Um, So I guess like heading to the speed round of questions. um, Firstly, you've mentioned quite a few topics and I'm sure you've read a lot of things. Um, 
what are your book recommendations and who are good people to follow in this space? So uh, our own uh, director of the Centre for uh, Corporate Sustainability Environment Finance has a, has a book uh, that's well worth reading. So you can just uh, look, at, look her up on her on our website. It's one of the earliest books. Um, but, you know, going back in history, you know, there's been some, you know, the, the amazing uh, book by Meadows. You know, Meadows wrote a book about, you know, that the first sort of uh, made people aware. Um, I've got a list here somewhere. Climate justice is, is really good. Uh, the, the head of the Catholic Church, that's by Mary Robertson. She was a, the Irish lady that was big in the United Nations. Oh, there's lo lots of books on affordable housing. Yeah, I think that is yeah. very important for us young people, <laughs> affordable housing. So <laughs> There's lots of books about fashion, you know, the fashion industry and fast fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, so just yeah. understanding some of the problems, understanding that sometimes the clothes you wear, they seem fine, right, but they're made from synthetics and they're novel substances, right? And we don't understand that the little beads from you know, clothing as they get washed, uh, you don't even see them, but they flush into the waterways. And yeah. you know, then we end up eating fish that contain all these beads. So just, just getting across uh, all of that. Uh, what advice would you give to your younger self, Tom? I think you've got to learn you know, the key concepts, you know, just like you did in your degree, right? You've got to learn the key, key concepts in your field. But maybe, you know, uh, even earlier than when I started to focus on some of these big questions, right? Some of these grand challenges, right? What, what can I really do with my skills to make a difference uh, in the world, right? And we got, you know, we get very good guidance uh, from you know, things like the United Nations Sustainability Goals, right? There's so many goals there about poverty, you know, not just, not just sustainability, but so, you know, Think about the big questions and what you can do to be involved. Right? But also you know, do the things you're really passionate about, the things that you, if you can, right, uh, if you can you know, choose something, choose a job that is your vocation. Right? I'm sure that people whose jobs match their vocation are very happy people. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so, in fact, I'd like to do research on that, but I can't quite conceive of how I do that study, but I'm sure of it. I'm sure that that people whose uh, job matches their vacation are happy people. I definitely agree with that advice, like having a career with purpose and finding a career that matches your passion is is something I definitely agree with. And that's why like, I want to have a career in climate change and, and sustainability because that's my passion. So maybe yeah. a bit later down the track, um, you could ask me to do some research or I could I could be one of your case studies. But, um... Sure, sure. And, you know, if you can, right? Some some people don't have a choice, right? They, yeah. you know, they, they just have to be in that call center. That's the only yeah. way they, you know, they could work these long hours and yeah. bad conditions or they work in a sweatshop. They don't have a choice. But if you do have a choice, right, yeah. it, that's fantastic. And and feel good that you have a choice, right? Uh, and then also, you know, the measure of success is not not how many dollars you you end up with, right? What, what your, what your yeah. toys are at the end of your life. That's not the measure of success. There's a lot of un yeah, agreed, Tom. And I think in Australia, we're very fortunate to have that choice. Um, and moving on to like our next question. So I know we've talked a bit about this before, but how do we keep our financial institutions and governments accountable on climate and sustainability issues? So this is what the reporting, that's why reporting frameworks are very important, right? So this, 
linkage grant we got with uh, colleagues at the University of Sydney and the University of Melbourne it is very important, right? So our linkage partners are the Australian uh, Accounting Standards Board, Australian Audit Board. So that's really important. Um, and, you know, there is, you know, if we do sign up for Net Zero, there is like a lot of scrutiny, right, uh, around the world. You know, every year that climate meeting uh, meets and we can be potentially very embarrassed. I don't know what you saw today, but there was a huge, in Times Square in New York, there was a huge uh, uh, billboard uh, making fun of Australia for its very weak uh, climate yeah. targets. And I think it was called uh, Cro Crocodile something or other. Uh, so, so <laughs> a play on the, on the crocodile underneath talking about our, our uh, inaction, right? You know, calling, calling us on you know, what we've been doing. From a business case point of view, we've in some sense been very smart in using this clean energy and selling this clean energy, right? But now the business case there would be very foolish not to transition. So how do we transition? I think it's closely watched. I think uh, nowadays, just with the information that's out there, people are doing you know, their own uh, analytics, right? They're solving crime that couldn't have been solved before. The individuals and groups, right? It's incredible what they're doing, and there's no, uh, you know, there's no control uh, over who has information and who reports information, right? You two, you two good guys with a blog, you could become the most influential people in the world, right? Where everyone subscribes to your blogs and that's they read read that rather than New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, right? There's nothing, there's no barriers now to you know, to being able to get use out and you know something and not necessarily got to be influenced by a publisher uh it's got a certain worldview because it's all this other source of information right um yeah that you can be an individual sitting at home can be incredibly influential in the world just with the logic and uh, passion of their argument yeah in terms of esg frameworks what would you say one emerging esg trend would be that is affecting investor so behavior. The most amazing thing that's happened with the ESG is the fact that the funds are uh, deciding, like BlackRock, for example, deciding that they want to have only sustainable businesses. So, you know, that's the biggest fund in the world. And there's, there's just uh, like a domino effect, right? All the major universities are uh, saying that they, that they you know, uh, want to be you know, responsible investors. Perhaps the only big holdout is the Australian, uh, some of the Australian uh, super funds, but even they are transitioning, right? Uh, because they can see the money uh, that's going to be made in these emerging technologies. So that's like the biggest, the biggest trend uh, that's happening. Right? Um, it really is. You know, the world is really changing. Yep, definitely agree, Tom. I think we we're seeing a huge increase in the flood in the funds flowing into responsible investing. Um, so that's definitely very exciting to see. And lastly, to finish up, where can our listeners and audience learn more about you and the research you do? So just yeah, Google uh, the Center for Corporate Sustainability and Environmental Finance. The mighty Google is fantastic. Um, Google, you know, Professor Tom Smith. Um, see what's going on. Uh, you know, we've, we've got Twitter accounts where we uh, we post a lot of information right, on Tom Smith PM. Then uh, there's Martina Lena Luca. Uh, so we're we're always on the Twitter uh, posting stuff. And then you'll see from our you know our uh, people we follow 
We're very good friends with Michael Mann, the world's top climate scientist. We've actually did uh, the last podcast I did was with him. Oh, with wow. And Martina and then uh, Duga. Yeah, so we did a podcast with him. And he loved Australia. He actually came out to study you know, the environment and stuff here, and he was here for the bushfire. So it couldn't have, it couldn't have worked out better. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our interview with Professor Tom Smith. Um, so just to wrap up, so Tom has mentioned some really interesting concepts in this interview, particularly around the Rockstrom planetary boundaries and touching on the of several ESG frameworks and issues around reporting. But we really enjoyed the discussion around business cases and why the transition towards clean energy is so important, how we can do that uh, through a $1 billion grant by the government and discussion around emerging technology um, around hydrogen energy. Uh, Professor Tom Smith has also offered some advice to young students and graduates and we really appreciate your time um both this and i are really grateful to have you back considering we're both being through the applied finance degree and we think there's so much potential in this area and we really hope to uh learn more about your research and have more audience members reach out to you and learn about this too yeah a pleasure Great. Thanks very much, Tom. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. How did you find our final episode of season one? Professor Smith is just brimming with knowledge about environmental finance, and I can see the importance of making enviro finance a normal and essential part of business. I hope season one of Greenfluence has been insightful and encouraging for you. If this is your first time listening, Thank you for joining us and please feel welcome to listen to our previous episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening in again. Truly appreciate it. And personally, I am inspired by your drive to learn more and do better for our planet. Wherever you are on our big blue marble, I hope you get some rest over the Christmas holidays and start 2022 refreshed and with hope. Season 2 will kick off in January, so keep an eye out for updates on our socials early next year. The Greenfluence team and I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube. Links are in the show notes. We'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast streaming platform. We'll catch you in the new year.